Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Hanslick, and I'm the chairman of Boyer Miller, a mid-sized law firm in Houston, Texas. I want to welcome you to Building Texas Business, a podcast about corporate innovation, entrepreneurship, and business leadership in the Lone Star State. The goal of this podcast is to learn from some of the best business leaders in Texas in hopes that their stories of growth, challenges, and success will inspire our listeners in their own journey to building a successful business. Today's guest is Reed Ryan. Reed is the CEO and co-founder of Ryan Sanders Sports and Entertainment, based in Round Rock, Texas. With a long family history in sports, he has grown up in Houston and around the sports industry including ownership of the Round Rock Express and the Corpus Christi Hooks, as well as being known for the president of the Houston Astros for a period of time. In addition to sports, Ryan is involved in Nolan Ryan Beef, R Bank, a bank in the Round Rock, Texas area, and RS3 Turf. Welcome to the podcast, Reed. Hey, Chris. Good to be here, man. It's good to see you. Hey, what an uh, awesome day to be talking business right here in Houston, Texas. So excited to be on the show. Thank you. Well, so let's start. I mean, you obviously are involved in a lot of different businesses, tell us. I mean, how do you? How did you start those businesses or get involved? And then how do you manage through uh, the various hats you have to wear? Yeah. So my history is I grew up in the game of baseball. Uh, a lot of folks know my dad is Major League Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan, and so I was really born in the game of baseball. We grew up in Alvin, Texas. I was born here in Houston, and he was with the Mets when I was born, and then he got traded to the Angels. And so, you know, really kind of early childhood was spent between Houston and Anaheim, Orange County, California area. And so then we came back here in Houston in 1980, played for the Astros and the Rangers. I went off to the University of Texas, played baseball there, transferred to TCU, finished up there, got drafted and played a couple years in the minor leagues. And so when they took my jersey away from me uh, and said, we no longer need your services with the Texas Rangers, I realized that I was going to have to do something with the rest of my life. And they said, hey, look, we don't want you playing anymore, but we would like you to do some work with us in the front office. And so I started working with the Rangers and Fox Sports Southwest back in the day doing some baseball stuff for them. And one night just realized, hey, look, I want to go work for myself. I'm an entrepreneur by nature. When I had gone to the University of Texas, I realized Austin was a growing market. And I wondered why they didn't have a minor league baseball team. And so I set out at 26 years old to figure out what it would take to put a minor league baseball team in the Austin, Texas, you know, metro market and ended up uh, settling on Round Rock. And it started as a Houston Astros AA affiliate and over the years has morphed all the way to being a Texas Rangers affiliate. And so you look up and it's 20 something years later and you got a bunch of gray hair, but it was a lot of fun along the way. Well, that's the great story, and it sounds like so that that inspiration, I guess, having the benefit, a unique benefit of growing up with who your dad was, 
led you into kind of that, I guess, sports management type of role? Well, you know, our family's interesting. So we've been involved in banking. And one of the, the greatest things my dad did for me was put me on the board of the bank he owned in Alvin when I was a young man, really coming out of high school and in, in college. And it gave me an opportunity in a small town where he was the sole owner in a bank in Alvin, Texas. And we were at the time, you know, like $80 million in assets. The bank we own today is $800 million in assets. And so quite a bit larger, but it gave you an opportunity to see some key factors that made businesses successful. A lot of times it was how well capitalized are they? Because everybody's business plan never you know, thinks about the worst of times. It's just always the hockey stick, how great it's going to be. And you don't think about bumps in the road. And so it seemed that the team, the businesses that never got in trouble were the ones that were really well capitalized. And so, you know, a lot of good learnings in there, but I was green when I started the Round Rock Express. You know, I look back today as a 49 year old and I go, wow, I don't know if I could have done it back then, knowing what I know today, you know, and and a lot of, I think my success in business has come through the habits you create by playing athletics. You were a division one college athlete. I was a division one college athlete and and that work ethic, that teamwork, that goal setting, dealing with failure, all those things, I think prepared me to be successful in business because there's an old saying my dad had all the time. Don't let the failure of your last pitch ruin the success of your next one. And so we'd have a bump in the road and say, hey, no big deal, man. Next batter up, you know. And yeah. so I think that approach benefited me as well as youth back in the day. That's that's great. Great advice, too. I mean, I think as far as moving forward, right, don't focus on what just happened. You know, how can you make it better? Learn from well, it. Well, and I'll give you an example. So when we started out to do the project in Round Rock, and without getting too deep in the weeds, we ended up getting a team in Jackson, Mississippi that, used, that was the Astros AA team, and this is in 1998, under contract. And the lease was expiring in Jackson, Mississippi at the end of the 99 season. So we knew we had to operate it you know, as a lame duck club for a year and a half. And then we were going to move it to the Round Rock you know, market, Round Rock Austin market. And so we had the plan all in place. We were going to use hotel motel tax for the city's portion. We were going to, you know, have traditional bank financing for our portion. Uh, It was going to be a $15 million stadium deal. And we ended up having a group of citizens pass an initiative referendum, which they ended up getting signatures to take away the power of the city council and put it to a vote of the people. And so that basic year lost in being able to start compacted our construction schedule and ended up taking our $15 million stadium and making it a $30 million stadium. And so, you know, then it blew all of our financial, you know, projections out of the water. And we really had to dig deep and say, well, what do we want to do here? And we decided, hey, let's bet on ourselves and let's just buck up and take on more bank debt, personally guarantee it. And let's, let's build this thing and do it right. And it's been a success ever since then. And so that's just one example of hundreds in my 20-something-plus-year business career that just happened. I mean, the bottom line is stuff happens, you know, and you just got to – it's really how you react. That's great. Yeah, I mean, stuff happens out of your control, right? And what I love about what you just said is – and I think it's a key element to entrepreneurs is bet on yourself fundamentally, right? Believe in yourself, bet on yourself. And it sounds like that is what kind of – Correct, yeah. I mean, we were of the belief that, like, look, you know what? No baseball – 
We've been successful in business. We know Texas. We know the environment. What we don't know, we're going to learn along the way. And you know what? We're going to encourage mistakes. I've always, with my employees, encouraged mistakes because you learn more from your mistakes than your successes, you know? And if people are empowered to make mistakes, especially those that work under you and know there's not repercussions for that, then they're going to get out and you're going to get 100%. You know, it's hard to say 110%. You're going to get closer to 100%. But if people feel like they're going to get their wrists slapped or they're going to be embarrassed or called out for mistakes, then you're probably going to get 75% of what those folks are going to do because they're going to stay in that safe zone. They're never going to get out there. And so we tell folks all the time, hey, look, go fall flat on your face. You know, we don't care. And if it happens again, you know, then we may talk about it. it happens a third time, then we may have to put some, you know, some guardrails on you. But go out there and, and feel free to be an entrepreneur. And I think that empowers all the folks that work underneath me to have equity in their decisions. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like when we were playing baseball, and I go back all the time to sports, you know, when the coach is calling your pitches, you don't have true ownership in them. You want to throw a fastball and the coach is telling you to throw a curveball. You're like, oh, curveball, not my pitch. You know, if it gets hit, well, he called it, not me. But when you're calling your own game and you own your decisions, then you care a lot more. And so I want all of the people that work underneath me to own their decisions. Uh, and we're going to celebrate them when they do well, but we're not going to make fun of them. We're not going to penalize them when they do you know, fall short, we're going to tell them, hey, great effort, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go get them again. So it sounds like you're employing autonomy with your employees to encourage them to be invested and engaged. So, you know, one of the things, uh, and I know we talked earlier before we started the podcast maybe about hitting some different books and stuff like that, but I went to a session early on in my professional career, and I have to say one of the greatest things I've been involved with has been YPO for me, which is Young President's Organization. I'm about to, to be out of it at 49 years old. But whether it's an entrepreneur's organization or Tiger or YPO, there's a bunch of these things out there. I think getting in a professional development group is very helpful because it gives you your own kind of personal board of directors that you can bounce ideas off of. Because when you're the entrepreneur or you're the owner or you're the, the president, Somebody always wants something from you, and few people really will ever speak the truth to you because, you know, they're hedging their bet on what they want from you. But if you can get some people that will give you honest feedback, it's golden. And so one of the things we did with YPO early in my professional career is I went to a seminar that a guy named Dr. Gerald Bell put on. He was a professor out of North Carolina, wrote a book with Dean Smith on leadership, And it was basically about hiring. And he had a very simple, you know, kind of philosophy. It was hire better or manage more. And if you want to grow, you need to hire better. If you want to be in the middle of everybody's stuff, you know, hire poorly, and then you're going to be managing it all. And guess what? You know, you're not going to grow very big if you're managing everybody's problems. And so we've kind of taken that philosophy. And I say we because I'm really in family business. I've I've been an entrepreneur. I've been a hired gun, and I'm also involved in family business. And so as a group, our family companies, we've tried to hire professional management teams and hire really well so that we don't have to manage more and we can think about growth and what's the next opportunity. That's great. So you mentioned a minute ago your views are certain key factors if you're going to start a business or run a business that you got to focus on. And I just 
want to know if you could maybe give us some of those so the listeners out there can may have mm-hmm. a takeaway of, of some of your views of key factors and being successful in business. You mentioned being well capitalized. Any others? Yeah, so I'll tell you, you know, we have not, you know, batted a thousand. We we have plenty of warts and plenty. No one does, right? Yeah, nobody does. And so I kind of laugh. We kind of talk about our success has been in the three B's, baseball, banking, and beef. You know, for whatever (laughs) reason, like we've done well in those. And so what I would say is, you know, focus on what you're really good at. The times we've been in trouble is where we thought, what worked in one of those three businesses automatically would work in another business, okay? Or where we got in trouble was where we ran these projects from, you know, the top as far as the group was concerned, whether it was raising capital, managing the management team, or whatever. Where we've gotten in trouble is where we've invested in deals where we weren't the lead partner. We weren't running the show because – you know, our expectation of sort of whether it was return or work ethic or culture or whatever, it was not always aligned with the other folks. And so that goes back to what you said earlier of betting on yourself. We feel like we can lead people, I can lead people, and then I can hire my weaknesses. So I think it goes back to like know thyself. Like I know what I'm really good at and I know what my weaknesses are. And so I try to surround myself with people that cover my weaknesses. And when we build these management teams, and I say we, my brother and I, really, Reese, he's uh, four years younger than me, we complement each other so well. And we enjoy working together. And we love building teams of, you know, management and finding talent. And so that's kind of been something that we've been good at, and we want to keep doing it. That's great. So, yeah, you should know thyself. I think I've heard others say, and I think self-awareness, right? So Mm -hmm. important to really know your strengths and and recognize your weaknesses because we all have them. And and don't shy away from them, right? That's right. No doubt about it. I mean, like, you know, personally, I've always kind of been a guy on vision, culture, you know, energy, big picture. I need somebody that can come in behind me with the dustpan and kind of clean up the details, (laughs) you know? And so I've been blessed that I've had some incredible, you know, executive assistants that have worked with me for a long time, you know, 20 plus years type people that have worked with us, getting close to it. And then also finding people, you know, from an accounting perspective, I'm not an accountant. You know, I do understand the numbers, but I need somebody that that's their forte. And so operationally, you know, I know what I want, but I need somebody who's the master of the SOP, you know. So those are the kind of things that you have when I say know thyself. I can be fan-facing, customer-facing, sales-oriented, you know, present to a board, raise capital, you know, talk to a lot of different folks. I need somebody in the background who's kind of grinding out the numbers and the operations to make sure the machine runs well. Gotcha. So you mentioned kind of in passing, you know, learning from mistakes, and that's where you mm-hmm. really find the true learning. And so just if you could maybe give a story or two of setback yeah. you've encountered, you know, I think the listeners definitely, if there's one that related to your time with the Astros would be a great story or the Round Rock Express, maybe the bank, but there are a couple of stories you could give, or here's a setback. Uh, here's how we learned from it and got better. Yeah. I mean, I think personally there've been a whole lot of them, you know, I think, 2008 was an interesting time. I really, up until that point, kind of from the late 90s, almost a decade 
really had had a ton of success, never really having any kind of setbacks at all. And in 2008, we ended up uh, launching a new bank that we still have today, our bank. We one location. Today, we're 10 locations. We started with, what, $25 million in capital. Today, we're, you know, $800 million bank. My brother and I invested in a group that was building a loft project in Corpus Christi where we had baseball team. And then at the same time, we bought a franchise for the coffee bean and tea leaf, which is kind of like a Starbucks competitor on the West Coast. And we took the state of Texas rights and raised some capital there. So we had all kinds of stuff going on. And then my dad put together a group to buy the Texas Rangers. And it was an interesting time because I had put so many chips out on the table with these other deals. When the Rangers thing came around, I didn't have the opportunity to invest in it because, you know, I had my money all over the place. And so there was a lesson in there of like missed opportunity. Try to always hold back. If you have a desire to to always be looking for opportunities to keep that capital on the sideline so that you don't miss the opportunity. So that's kind of lesson one. Two, you can only really be in one place. And as I said earlier, with good management teams, we didn't hire good management teams for a couple of these projects. And at the end of the day, here we are in 2021, and, you know, we've shut or closed the coffee bean. And one time we had like 12 locations around the state, a lot more capital intensive than what we thought. You really have to come into a market with a presence so you can't one or two it. You've got to come in with 2030. And, you know, to make advertising work, to sort of get brand recognition and awareness out there. And so a lot of learnings there. And then obviously there was the tech, I mean, not the tech, excuse me, there was the uh, subprime mortgage issue that happened around there. And so kind of a bad time to be in real estate. We developed a lot of real estate over the years. But when we did this condo project in Corpus Christi, it was a gutting of an existing building. It wasn't a ground up. And so there was a velocity issue of like your carry cost on the entire building instead of paying as you go, like if you're doing lot development. And so just some great learnings. And so at the end of the day, only one of those businesses is still in you know existence. It's done really well. The others, you know, we had to lick our wounds and going down the road. And at the same time, I ended up missing an opportunity that would have been incredible to be in uh, the Rangers ownership group. But having said that, I'm a big believer that every time, you know, a door closes, another one opens. And had that happened, I would have never had the opportunity in 2013 to become president of the Houston Astros, which ended up being, you know, a seven-year run that took us to two World Series, and, and we won one in 2017. And so sharing all that, Chris, I say you're going to have hiccups. You're going to have mistakes. You're going to have, you know, issues. Don't let those define you. Learn from them and know that something good is coming around the corner. And so when I rolled into this Astros job, I was better for it. And then I go to leaving the Astros in 2020 after an incredible run, a sign stealing scandal. You know, our GM loses his job. Our manager loses his job. And then I don't get renewed as president. And, you know, the owner of the Astros kind of brought in a whole new management team. Some people, I've seen them have those kind of life setbacks and say, well, I'm devastated. For me, I just said, what a great run, awesome life experience. I'm ready for the next chapter. And I walk away a much better person having run a $400 million business for, you know, several years with a lot of wins, both, you know, 
with the business and on the field. And so I walk away uh, with just a better place than when I walked in 2013. And so that's kind of been my attitude, as you can see, to the ups and downs of life and business. That's great. Now, I, say, I, mean, I can validate what you just said about your perspectives. I remember having lunch with you shortly after the Astros thing, and it was exactly how you presented it and had a positive outlook and lots of opportunity out there. And so I think there's a lot of learning for business owners and it really just in life in general to have that mindset of learning experiences and growth from them. Yeah, and so I just talked about baseball. I go back to sort of watching my dad's career. Getting to be around him for his 27-year major league career and be around athletes that are the best in the world on a daily basis, it's like an education that you couldn't pay for. I mean, it, it would cost somebody, you know, millions to, to be able to have this type of education. So if you think about his career, he ends up struggling with the Mets. They win a World Series. Uh, a lot of, I think a lot of talent can't always get it together. You know, a lot of success and big failures and can't kind of harness that talent. They trade him and get rid of him. Well, he didn't let that, you know, define him. Oh, you know, the Mets <clears throat> quit on me. Now I'm, I'm sent out here to this, you know, at the time, the worst team in baseball, the Angels. And he ends up, you know, taking them to the playoffs for the first time ever, four no-hitters, all these records. He parlays that into an incredible run in Ast- with the Astros, first playoff ever, highest paid player in sports. But then all of a sudden, they don't renew his contract at the end of 88. What does he do? Does he quit? Does he, you know, say, oh, poor me? He goes to, once again, a team that's not very good, and two no-hitters, 5,000 strikeouts, 300 wins in a fight with Robin Ventura. I was everybody knows it, about. And yeah. punches a young guy out. <laughs> and he's a legend now. And yeah. so you just look at those opportunities. There were spots along the way he could quit. There have been spots along the way that I could quit. I, I wanted to be a major league player. And, you know, when they took my jersey away from me, sometimes that devastates people. But I think if you have this mindset of there's something great around the corner and you know failure is part of life, then you just you handle it and you just move on. When they say baseball is the best example of that, right? Because a 300 hitter, it, it, it can be a Hall of Famer, and, and they're failing 70% of the time. And it's so true. I mean, just in pitching and, and every, everything, you know, nobody pitches a perfect game every time out. Nobody gets a hit every time. So it's, it's good life lessons. Did It's interesting, and I don't think maybe everyone – I doubt anyone knew this or they're learning it, but when did you realize your dad actually had an entrepreneurial spirit when he's like the best pitcher in baseball, but he started this bank while you were, you know, young man put you on the board and things like that. When did that start to start? So, you know, my dad's an amazing guy. He's a quiet guy. He's a very thoughtful guy. He wanted to not be a major league baseball player when he was a kid. He wanted to be a rancher. And so as a, you know, 10 year old, he bought his first heifer, and his parents didn't have property. They lived in the middle of town. His dad worked at the chemical plant. His mom was a you know stay-at-home mom with six kids. He ended up finding a guy that leased him an acre in the middle of Alvin, and he fenced it in and put a calf out there and started his herd. And here we are, you know, sixty-something years later, and he's in you know as many Western Heritage Ranching Hall of Fames as he is baseball Hall of Fames. So he always wanted to be in business for himself, and so he's had that spirit. I think he instilled that spirit into us. But at the same time, he said, and I believe this, you have to follow your passion. And for me, my success has been my passion is people. I enjoy people. 
I like seeing. I'm a win-win guy. I want to see other people win. I want to win. You know, a lot of times you meet win-lose people. You know, it's like dealing with Russia. They want to win. They want you to lose. <laughs> There's a lot of people like that in baseball. But when you can find somebody that's win-win and you see others, you know, I like to see people have success. And I like to have it as well. And so that's kind of the attitude I've taken to businesses. Let's figure out a way that everybody can do well here. That's great. So let's kind of maybe bring it back to the express. Yep. Or banking. Uh or any of your businesses, actually. Okay. But I want to think about innovation. What are you currently doing in in the various you know, businesses you're operating in to be in, that you believe is innovative or kind of you know, pushing that industry or your business forward? Yeah, so it's really funny. We always wanted to have, because minor league baseball had a stigma to it, all through you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, really a stigma of, terrible kind of high school fields that they sold beer at and you know it wasn't good we wanted to change that perception so when we opened up the Dell Diamond in 2000 one it was one of the first stadiums to have naming rights we were one of the first stadiums to have a video board now video boards are everywhere high schools have them we were the first team ever before major league or anybody else to stream all of our games now it was because we had a lot of high-tech folks in Austin and we were, like, not afraid to fail. Hey, yeah, sure, come on out. Now, it was terrible. It would, like, freeze, and then it would unfreeze and be, like, three pitches later. But we were doing it. So we've done a lot of that kind of stuff. And in the banking industry, I think it's a real challenge today. So we have a technology committee. We're a regional bank. You're facing the big boys that, you know, the Chases and the Bank of America as well as Fargo's that – are offering all kinds of services. And once they offer services, consumers expect those services across every all, all banks. And then you have, you know, the FinTech, the financial technology people that are out there, the PayPals of the world or the Venmos that are wanting to get as much money as they can. You know, there's millions of dollars sitting on Venmo accounts right now. People are making no interest on and Venmo's raking it in on having all that you know money with zero cost basis on it. And so what we've tried to do is how can we partner with technology partners to offer all the same services that financial technology and the big banks offer. And so we've been able to do that, but we have a committee and we're always challenging ourselves to say, what is out there? What are you seeing from other folks? What is, because technology will keep you as a small to medium-sized business owner from competing if you can't keep up. If everybody's taking Apple Pay and you're not even taking credit cards, you're probably losing. You know, if you're taking credit cards, but you're not, you know, taking Apple Pay or where the chip just touches it, you're probably behind. You know, if you don't have an e-commerce platform, you're behind. So how do you keep up? And you need to look in the mirror and have people hold you accountable and hold yourself accountable. And that's what we've done. It sounds like that probably feeds into that. Your hiring philosophy, right? Hiring people that understand that, that can push you and have that committee that you mentioned to really be out there thinking about that. Yeah, so I'll share some hiring tips. I have used this hiring philosophy going back to when I went to the Dr. Bell seminar. But it was interesting, and, and we've implemented it. So really, when you look for a hire, there's kind of three things you look for. One is personality, two is work ethic, and three is technical knowledge. Unfortunately, most of the time people focus on technical knowledge, but then they find out that the person doesn't want to work and they can't play in the sandbox with others, and then they have a terrible hire. 
So we've always focused on personality first. If the person isn't glass half full, they're never going to be glass half full. If they don't like others and, and like serving people, and really our companies are in the service business, really, at the end of the day, all of them. So if you're not somebody that wants to serve others, then you're not going to probably be a part of our company. And then we want people that like to work. My dad likes to work. I like to work. We like to be productive. We want other people that want to be productive. And it's the emotional value of work, the feeling like you're helping out the team. So we want work ethic. And then we don't care about your technical knowledge. But you have some great, but we can teach anybody anything. You know. So that's kind of been our philosophy. And then the way that we've done it is most companies have the boss do the hiring. Okay, and they bring somebody in, and if the people that are even or below them don't like that person, then you're creating team dissension. You're right. on a team. Right. You got What are the best teams? They're not always the most talented. They're the ones that have everybody gets along and they have chemistry. And so the, the key to creating chemistry, I think, in the workforce or the workplace is put a hiring team of three people. Have a superior to whatever the position is going to be have a peer, and then have a subordinate. If the janitor is getting to hire the vice president, they're having, they feel important on their job and their role. They have a say in who their boss is going to be. If the peer is picking it, they're looking in a mirror at themselves. They're not going to bring a slacker in. They want somebody that's a higher cheer because it's going to make them look good, and they want somebody. And then the superior is going to make sure that the person is going to fit the role, and any of them can have veto power. So our receptionist for 20 years in Round Rock has been involved with most of our hires, and it's awesome. So it's been a little secret sauce that's worked for it's us. It's a great process, and, I mean, if nothing else, people hearing that and take that away. So kind of as I was listening to you, we you describe those three things and personality being first. I think what we say here is we hire from culture. Mm-hmm. And that, so I want to you know, ask, you no about, ask you about that, the culture that you believe you've created at these various organizations and and how you've gone about it. Yeah. So I'll tell you the, I think the most proud I've been personally is the culture that I was able to create with the Astros. So a lot of folks said, well, why did you leave working for yourself to go work, you know, for the Astros? And one was the challenge. A little bit of it was selfish that I wanted to see if I could go win a world series. I wanted to see if some of the philosophies I had could work kind of on the, the, the biggest stage. And we had a tremendous amount of success from the business group that I ran with the Houston Astros. So we had 60 sales representatives that just sold tickets when I was there. And most all of these kids, I call them kids, they were younger people, you know, in their 20s. They were all pretty much college athletes or folks that they loved to compete. And so there was a lot of competition in, you know, who was hitting their goals you know, who was staying, we, we had sometimes people drop off or they weren't hitting their goals. And so what I ended up telling all of them is like, look, each one of you, you know, I care about you as a person because they were great stories. You know, we had swimmers from, you know, D1 football players. You know, we had baseball players. We had all kinds of great stories. And it was, where do you want to be personally in five years? You need to start planning out. Where do you want to be in 10 years? And then to help me be successful, I need you to hit these numbers. But what I need you to understand is hitting these numbers is helping you be successful and where you want to go. And so if you can make it so that the person you're managing sees what they're getting out of the relationship and how it's helping them reach their goals, then they're going to help you reach your goals. 
and it, we didn't always bat a thousand, but we had a lot of kids that, you know, we had one or two folks that said, I always thought I wanted to be in sports. But what I realized was that, you know, I like sales, but I want to be in something where the book of business is mine. I'm like, you're right. You should go into wealth management or you should go into real estate or you should go into, you know, insurance, something where you own your book of business and you can keep it a long time. And so those conversations are always exciting for me because it means that those kids have bought in to what you're selling and that they're now realizing that my relationship with them is a lifetime relationship, not a, hey, I'm your boss relationship. It's, it's out of mutual respect. And I think that's what we've tried to do with all our companies is build mutual respect and let everybody understand where they fit in on the team. That's great. So <clears throat> I, I take it from, you know, the, the various businesses we, we talked, I think I just mentioned in the intro, we haven't really talked about it, but RS3 Turf, that's effectively kind of a startup, right, or, or relatively new. So you've started that one from the ground up? So this is really interesting. So we call our company that had the Round Rock Express, Ryan Sanders. For the Ryan family and the Sanders family, Don Sanders, who was one of the owners of the Astros, when my dad signed here in 1980, he was on the board of EF Hutton, a uh, longtime, you know, Houston Successful businessman in his family. No, Mr. Sanders. Well, he's, yeah, he's, he's on the he's board. A, yeah. He's a treasure. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's on the the Texas Bowl board. And so anyway, when we started the Express, we were just around Rock Express. Then we bought and started another team in Corpus Christi that's still there today, called the Corpus Christi Hooks. And so at one time we had the Astros Double A and Triple A Club. And so we needed a name because we did a lot of things with both teams. So it was Ryan Sanders Baseball. When we decided to grow into the turf business. We became RS3, which is really Ryan Sanders' third company. The way we got into the turf business was probably in the mid-2000s. I mean, it's not quite 20 years old, but you know, definitely over 10 years old. We wanted to have, you were talking about innovation, we wanted to have the best grounds crew and best field in minor league baseball. And so one of the things we did is we got the, the Texas High School State Championship. My dad played in the Texas High School State Championship my brother's team at Alvin played in the, in the state championship. So we wanted to host this and make it like going to Omaha for the College World Series. So to do that, we have to have a really good grounds crew. We've got to spend a lot of money. So we started by saying, well, how can we offset these costs? And we started picking up jobs, just doing natural grass, and grew into having the premier natural grass team in the state of Texas for installation. So Cotton Bowl we've done. TCU, we've done, we did U of H practice fields, Rice practice field, any major project in Texas when, you know, Globe Life was grass with the Rangers, we've done Minute Maid Park, we've built all those fields. But we started looking at, and once again, going back to innovation, what's happening with the artificial turf space. So many high schools, and especially in the Houston area or places in Austin where, you know, water rationing is a big deal or West Texas are going to artificial. And so we said, we have to get in this game. And we started something in 2013 in San Antonio called Big League Weekend, where we brought in two major league teams and we turned the Alamo Dome into a baseball stadium. And so that's where we first started putting in turf. Fast forward to here we are in 2021. We're working all over the Southeast, all up in the Midwest. We've done high school fields in Florida, Kentucky, Minnesota, Louisiana, Right now, we're doing one in College Station. We're building uh, something for Mary Harden Baylor. Right now, we've got projects all over the place. And 
actually, I love the business. I love it because the excitement that these kids and the schools have when you come in and redo their facilities, it's very fulfilling. And I just, in my heart, love the athletic, what athletics teaches people. And so I think seeing commitment to athletics across this state and really kind of the southeast, the Sun Belt, it's just exciting for me. And there's a ton of work out there. And, and we're having success because uh, of our name and our past reputation of doing what we say and knowing that we're not going to pack up and leave town. And so some of the people we compete with, and I think that's the other thing, you have to always look at the landscape of who you're competing with. The people we're competing with in this space sometimes are, you know, folks that maybe don't have the best track record of warranting their work or, you know, doing what they said they were going to do. And so when you're the one that has the high ground sort of with credibility, it makes going in you know, a little bit easier than when you're an unknown. And so it's been fun. We're having a good time with it. So that company just totally started with a vision of wanting a better field at Dale Diamond, and you turned it into a business opportunity. It did, yes. It was a way to get staff. So we were kind of the grass guys, natural grass guys, and we've been in the artificial and natural grass space for now two years. But what I like is when somebody comes in to talk to us about their complex, if you're competing in the artificial people. They're coming in and telling you all the reasons. Oh, natural grass is terrible. You need to go with this. The natural grass people are telling you the opposite. We're in saying, look, we do both. And so here are the pros and cons and it's decisions. You know, if you got a bunch of rain and you want to get games in, go with the artificial. But you got to pay for it up front and it's going to last 10 to 15 years. If you want, you know, what I think is the best product. We can put it in, but if you don't put any money or budget to this natural grass, you know, this TIF, Bermuda, whatever one you choose, then you're just burning your money. So you have to make a commitment that once it's in, you have to maintain it. So there's no free rides. It's what do you want to have and what's your environment? Maybe the best thing I think people can learn in life, there's no free ride. No right? free ride. I mean, no, no free easy ride. way. That's right. No shortcuts. That's um, right. I think everybody waits that, you know. There's going to be something magical happening, and it doesn't just happen. But I think the biggest thing is just get up and go to work. Get up the next day and put one foot in front of the other, and, and good things tend to happen. Get along, know? have a good work ethic, and get along with people. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the two funny <clears throat> sayings that kind of come out of, like, the 1960s. You know, kind of, I'm thinking Austin area was, you know, Lady Bird Johnson, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I've always taken that. I walked into the business world with, you know, Having being the son of Nolan Ryan, having a lot of capital behind me, and having you know credibility from day one—that's a huge. I, I understand it's a huge benefit. And I used to tell people, being Nolan Ryan's son might get you in the game, but it doesn't get anybody out for you. I've stood twenty years on my own merits, but it definitely was an advantage to get in the door. The other one I like is the one that Daryl Royal said, and I believe this is that that you know what is it? Uh, good luck is when. Uh, practice or preparation meets uh, opportunity. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's the other thing that we've done is that we've been prepared and when the opportunities presented itself, we made the most of it. So we've probably talked around it a lot, but if you had to describe your leadership style, how would you describe that? Yeah. So I'm not afraid to do anything. I'm going to lead by, you know, trying to put myself in everybody's shoes. 
you know, I want to know what it's like. I want to understand what your role in the team is like. And so I'm never going to ask anybody to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. So I would say I'm a player's coach, you know, definitely one that uses more sugar than a stick. But if you have to have a stick, I got the stick as well. Right. Both are important. I agree with you. I think you, you you get more out of your people if you're, like we talked about earlier, about autonomy, let them feel engaged and committed. So you, you've given a lot of takeaways here, but it, anything kind of as we start to wrap this up that you would say for an entrepreneur or business owner out there, you know, here's some tips or advice that maybe you haven't shared yet that just if you're really wanting to drive your business forward focus on these things or think about these things. Yeah. So I think as I've gotten older here and I think the decision is sort of how much do you want to grow? You know, I think the chasing, I want to be the richest man in the world syndrome where somebody is just never enough. That's a different culture and that's a different mindset. It's a different employee base versus like, I want to make a difference. I want to have a passion. I want to be best in class. And so we've had a lot of success. Look, there's a lot bigger companies out there. There's a lot richer people out there. There's, you know, there's always somebody taller, faster, stronger. You can find them. What I want to do is have people that love where they work, that feel as though, you know, they are, have purpose in their life. And that we're all able to reap the rewards from hard work and let's continue to challenge ourselves and grow. We don't want to be stagnant because there is no standing still. You're either falling behind or you're moving ahead. But let's move ahead at a pace that allows us to have work-life balance and make a difference in our communities, not where our worth is only based off of what does the bottom line say. Great. So I know your first job, or I believe this to be your first job, was Bat Boy for the Astros, right? Yep. <laughs> any any like cool memory from that? You know, those were really fun times. So even though it was a job, one, they didn't pay me because I was <laughs> Nolan's kid and I showed up. There were actual kids that, like, that was their full-time job. And so I did it because I just, once I said, I loved working and I loved being a part of the team. And so those older guys that were bat boys. And one of them today is a guy named Jay Edmondson. He ran the Astros complex forever. He lives in Florida. The other one is uh, Carl Schneider, who's the Astros clubhouse manager today. So these were guys that were working full time. I would show up with my dad, help him wash clothes, take stuff down to the dugout. What a lot of people don't realize is picking up the bats during the game is not the work. That's like the showtime work. You know, that's like, the fun of getting to be involved with the game. The real work was setting up the the bench and then breaking it down and then doing all the stuff that involved laundry and food. And, you know, you're on a team. You know what it's like. So those are the uh, unsung heroes. And actually, some of those guys, you said, what's one of your favorite memories from the World Series? Baseball has a tradition of called uh, the playoff share. So the way it works in baseball is once you get to the playoffs, the players are are playing for money. They're playing for the gate of the games. And so the minimum number of gate goes for the series. So if it's a five-game series, the first three games, all that money goes to the players and the umpires. And it's divided on a split. And so the teams don't get into the money until you're in game four or five of a five-game series or games five, six, seven of a seven-game series. 
And so the year we won in 2017, there was this huge amount of money. And so the playoff shares are voted before you even are in the playoffs. Okay. So they'll say, okay, this guy came up for, you know, as a player, he was on the team only a quarter of the year. We'll give him a quarter of a share. This guy got hurt, but he was here all year. You know what? He deserves a full share. And sometimes they'll vote shares to the clubhouse guys. And so in 17, they voted a couple of clubhouse guys a full share. So those guys ended up making in basically a month 20 times their salary for the year. Wow. Life-changing money where people bought houses and paid off, you know, school and all kinds of other stuff. So that was actually probably the thing that maybe brought me the most joy from the World Series was seeing those guys get those gigantic paydays. It was cool. That's meaningful, life-changing. So it was a question. I was going to ask you, favorite memory from the 2017 season? Well, that was kind of the – I'll say that was one of, like, my favorite, like, warming the heart. I think obviously winning because the feeling I got in L.A. when that final out happened, I was there with – Two of my kids and my wife, um, my whole life really had kind of been heartache come to the playoffs, 80 Astros, 86 Astros, 05 Astros, the Ranger years, 10 and 11, you know, just felt like you were never going to win one, never going to get over the hump. And to have it go our way, that final game, was just an incredible feeling, one of accomplishment. And I have to tell you, moving on from life after – 17, there's almost a feeling of, you know, not having to prove anything to anybody because, you know, it was the first and there's only been one in the state of Texas. So it's a deep sense of satisfaction that I have from that year. That's great. I can see why. Uh, A lot of years put into it and to see it kind of culminate that way had to be rewarded. And there's people that have been in this business 40, 50 years and never get that opportunity. You know, my dad got it in 1969 as, you know, 20, what was he, two-year-old. 23-year-old, and, you know, never won another one as a player. So you have to really uh, savor it. It was a great follow-up year as well. So 17, 18, 19, we're about as good as baseball has ever been played in a three-year stretch. And obviously 20 was pretty good for the Astros with, you know, COVID and a half season, and this year's turned out to be a good year. So folks are going to look back at this Altuve era, Korea era and say, man, there was some really good baseball played in there. Yeah, no doubt. So I'll kind of wrap it up on a light note. So you got a Nolan Ryan beef. So are you a Tex-Mex or barbecue guy? Oh, no, I'd take Tex-Mex every day, definitely. Okay, okay. Any book you're currently reading or? You know what? I just got a new, so I was really into reading. I mean, I was reading like two books a month. And then when COVID hit, I think it was all the together time at home. I just, I had to get outside and do stuff. So I kind of stopped reading for a while, but I just got a book called Atomic Habits that was recommended by, by a guy at our church. And it's basically ways to create good habits and ways to break bad habits. So, you know, trying to do a little self-learning right there. And uh, the other thing I'm into right now is I've always wanted to speak Spanish I've taken a lot of years. I'm not very good at it, so I've committed myself this year to doing Duolingo every single day, and I've been pretty pretty religious on it so far. So it feels like a lot of work, so I'm like at level two, and I was like, oh, my God, there is a lot. So this may end up turning into a 10-year project. I don't know. <laughs> But at least for 2021, I've been pretty pretty religious about it. That's good. Well, you know, I guess if, maybe if you can do it in less than 10 years, we'll try to do one of these again in Spanish. There you go. That'll work. That'll work. But, Reed, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time uh, to come on uh, the podcast with us. 
and share the stories you did. I mean, tons of information and value that I know our listeners are going to get out of this. Well, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. And keep up the good work, my man. All right. Take care. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.